Welcome to Triple Bladed Sword, the podcast that looks at the science fiction, fantasy, and horror we read, watch, and play. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Bershon. I teach English literature and film studies at McEwen University, and this podcast is where I share my research and ramblings about books, films, and games set in impossible and improbable worlds. This episode is part of a series called Office Hours, devoted to the sort of meandering, reflective, and fun conversations I have with students who drop by my office to say hello. This week, I'm responding to a post I saw on Reddit about the alien role-playing game from Sweden's magnificent role-playing game company, Fria Ligen, or Free League. The gist of the post was this. The Alien role-playing game. So this is a role-playing game based on the Alien franchise of movies. Alien. Aliens. Alien 3. (laughs) Alien Resurrection. Prometheus. And Alien Covenant. And the, the gist of the post was this. This game doesn't work because the players all know what's going to happen. Um, the Alien films follow a formulaic structure. If you've seen the first two films, you begin to know the pattern. And everything just becomes about putting little twists on that pattern. Uh, you know, some unsuspecting space truckers, uh, space marines, space colonists find eggs um then there's a face hugger uh, an alien is implanted an alien jumps out of somebody's body uh in the original film you know it was through the chest and uh in the more recent ones it was like out of the spine and i know there were people who were really reductive about that they're like oh i mean that's so original right like it's always come out of the chest so let's make it come out of their back i mean how original is that and this poster as well was very dismissive of Prometheus and Covenant, despite those films introducing this black goo, which attempts to retcon the origin of the xenomorph alien, the alien creature in most of the alien films. And uh, there were a lot of fans who were disappointed with that. I really couldn't care less because uh, I enjoyed those movies. Um, but more importantly, for someone who's frustrated as someone who's running a role-playing game that they feel is too predictable, this black goo presents or provides uh, you know, someone wanting to drive the narrative in a new direction with endless possibilities for new forms of the xenomorph alien or whole new monstrosities. So there's lots of twists and turns you can take with that. But I don't want to get bogged down in sort of the pissing match that happens and like, was Prometheus a terrible film or not? Uh, because to me, this is indicative of a bigger trend. Um, not even sure I want to say trend. I'm not really sure this is ultimately a new thing. Um, But it's indicative of how we are spoiler-focused as audiences in North America for any form of narrative consumption, be it uh, book, film, game, doesn't matter. Spoilers seem to be the end-all, be-all of sins that you can commit when you're talking about a new narrative And there have actually been a few psychological studies related to 
uh, spoilers and and our spoilers really the end all be all of what makes us enjoy narratives. Um, Jonathan D. Leavitt and Nicholas J. S. Christenfield um, released an article back in 2011 called "Story Spoilers Don't Spoil Stories," in which they wrote, "However, people's ability to reread stories with undiminished pleasure and to read stories in which the genre strongly implies the ending suggests that suspense regarding the outcome may not be critical to enjoyment and may." even impair pleasure by distracting attention from a story's relevant details and aesthetic qualities. Aesthetic qualities is really the thing I would like to focus in on here a bit, because um, there have been other studies that have been done since which show that people's um, enjoyment of, say, television uh, episodes is diminished if they know the ending. So maybe there's something about the medium that weighs into that. And that's something that I'll come back around to in future episodes, because this is an area of research for me. Uh, but right now, I just wanted to focus in on that that statement of you know, not focusing on a film's aesthetic qualities or a narrative's aesthetic qualities. Um, if you have listened to any of the uh, episodes of Triple Bladed Sword that were about film, you'll know that I'm a big proponent of uh, film language, of the building blocks of film and how those make film a distinct medium from, say, the novel, and that uh, although I haven't talked about comics a ton here, I take the same approach with comics. Comics are not novels. They are not the same thing. These are not the same mediums. Um, although there are similarities, there are places, spaces of overlap between, say, a comic book and a novel or a comic book and a film, they ultimately aren't the same things. And being able to appreciate what those mediums are doing, I think, is part of what we're missing as a as an audience as consumers of media we've sort of come around to this position of surprise is all but there are a lot of films where we may know the outcome um so you know you think of a movie like titanic you know the uh, the ship is going to hit the iceberg comedians made jokes about it i didn't see titanic because i knew the ending or something like that um the same thing though uh, interestingly with uh, the alien franchise so for those who have never seen any of the Alien films, uh, the first film, Alien, involves some space truckers who discover an alien parasite creature that pretty much kills everybody, and, uh, and then one person gets away, Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. And then in the second film, the place where they found the initial alien has become a colony site for many humans, and they all become uh, infected, and consequently you've got Aliens, which was the title of the second film. Now, recently, horror and comic book writer Christopher Golden, uh, and I say recently, it was 2014, um, wrote a novel called Alien River of Pain, which is set between the first film and the second film. And it basically tells how the colony that the colonial marines in the second film go to rescue, uh, how it goes south, how everything falls apart. So from the very first page of that book, you know that the outcome is bleak. You know that at least... You know, most most of the most of the main characters are going to die. You know that when you open that book up. 
So, spoiler, right? Um, unless you somehow were able to pick up this book, you'd never seen... I can't imagine why you'd do this, but, you know, someone maybe finds a book in one of those, you know, little uh, libraries that are in communities, right? You know, you've got these little boxes on posts. Uh, I say this because I was recently on vacation uh, in a little lake community near um, Edmonton. And they had two of these things in this tiny little community. And so I thought, there you could be. You could just be some unsuspecting science fiction fan who's never seen Alien or Aliens or any of the other films. And you pick up Alien, River of Pain uh, by Christopher Golden. And you would be the person for whom that book could have spoilers. But most of the people that are going to pick up Alien, River of Pain by Christopher Golden are going to be Alien fans of one stripe or another. And they will have some at least cultural awareness awareness of how this story plays out and how um, you know it, it, it feeds into the the next book but that's not the the pleasure that I receive from it the pleasure that I receive from it is in going through that formulaic pattern I actually like that formulaic pattern and so does anyone who watches slasher films anyone who's watched more than one Chucky movie anyone who's watched more than one of those Annabelle films you love formulaic narratives and so I thought it was, it felt a bit disingenuous that somebody would say, I was really looking forward to playing the, the alien role-playing game and my players were really excited about it too. And then we started playing it and it wasn't fun because we already knew what the face hugger was, the, you know, what the, the chest burster was, etc. It's like, but that's what you sign up for when you go to an alien movie. You know that stuff's going to happen and whether or not it comes out the spine or the chest or if it's, you know, Stephen King's shit weasels from Dreamcatcher, it's, it's body horror. And you can do stuff with that, that that gives it a little twist, make it fun. But bottom line, you really already know the major plot points here. And even Alien is an older story. It's the cabin in the woods in space. Something's gotten into your little space and you can't get out, and it's in there with you, and you're trapped, and it's claustrophobia, and this takes you all the way back to the Anglo-Saxon poem Beowulf. Grendel in the night house, this blood-sucking monster that's killing everybody, and it's up to Beowulf to come and to deal with the thing. But that's like, that kind of horror goes way back. So the, the, the riff that Alien was on that was that it, they moved it into space and they got H.R. Heger to design one of the coolest looking monsters in the history of monsters. And right there, that's an aesthetic move. That's, that's not a plot point. That's what Leavitt and Christenfield are talking about when they're talking about, um, you know, us being able to, uh, you know, look at a story's relevant details and its aesthetic qualities. Uh, somebody was telling me recently that they didn't think that the original Alien film held up because that jump scare um, with Dallas, the captain of the ship, in this one little tiny corridor where the alien jumps out, it looks like it's going to hug him. Well, part of that is because that uh, particular moment was made into a gif and that was made into a meme um so you know this is the way that stories get uh cut up and re-edited now but they just reduced a film that is pure dread to this one moment of cinematic shock and the original alien film doesn't rely on incessant cinematic shock it relies far more on creeping dread the anticipation of something bad happening 
And once you know that there's a chestburster, once you know that, you know, which character is carrying the alien, etc., there's no real way for the birth sequence, unless, you know, you're 10 years old and you have no idea that this movie even exists and your dad shows it to you, in which case, yes, this is potentially an anecdote, um, you know, then, then it can be shocking. Uh, but you know what why do so what do we get out of a scene like that at that point if all we're about is surprise it's like this guy i ran into at the airport this one time i was reading in a terry pratchett novel and i love terry pratchett uh, i think he's brilliant and i think his books are eminently re-readable because they're just so damn quotable there's so much content in them that i read and i want i want to highlight it um and I often do because I want to go back to it and I want to reread that stuff because it's not just funny, it's brilliant. Um, but they're very rereadable. They, they, they stand up to coming back and more and more encore. And this guy in the airport noticed I was reading this book and he says, hey, love those Terry Pratchett books. I think they're great. I said, yeah, this is like the third time I've read this one. He goes, oh, I never read a book more than once. And it just killed me. I, I, I said, really? He said, yeah, there's just too many new ones. You know, there's so much new stuff to read. And I thought, yeah, okay. Um, but, you know, is that all we're about is just the new? And most of the time, the new is just a rehash of the old. And I'd rather go with quality rehash uh, or, you know, me rehashing it than you know, try, you know, try something new and be disappointed because that's the thing is that ultimately spoiler, the spoiler world, the, the surprise world can disappoint so easily. Whereas the approach of reading for, uh, relevant details and aesthetic qualities, aesthetic pleasure, you know, the, the crafting of wording in a novel, uh, the way in which the author constructs the narrative. That was one of the things I thought was great about Christopher Golden's uh, Alien River of Pain is that he drove the narrative like a classic disaster movie. Uh, you know, you, you get the setup where it's like, here are all the characters and here are the, you know, the villains that you hope are going to die horribly and they do. And these are the, you know, but you don't know how they're going to die, right? Like that's part of the pleasure there is like in a disaster movie, you know, people are going to die. Um, and I know that that's very strange. Some of you are probably going, there's no pleasure in watching people die oh, shut up. If you watch disaster movies or horror movies, you're taking pleasure in watching people die. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. You need to get over it. Um, and, but, uh, you know, and that's true of any movie that involves like massive chaos, right? Like if we go to, if we go to one of those apocalyptic movies where the world dies and we complain about the fact that they didn't give us close up views of everybody, you know, every individual who millions perished and it was all done in spectacle. Yes, yes, it was. And you were complicit in it because you bought a ticket for that movie and there's no way you didn't know before you walked into that theater. You know, that like, I'm sorry, there's no, there's no, there's no spoiler alert that prevents you from knowing that a movie like 2012 is going to be that sort of film that the day after tomorrow is going to be that sort of film the spectacle as, as Susan Sontag called it the imagination of disaster um, but when you know we're we're enjoying it for those aesthetic qualities. It's not a spoiler thing. It's it's like you know if you were if somebody was to have told me which characters died in advance, I don't think it would have. In fact, I know this for a fact. I did this little sort of experiment for, I guess, adaptation theory because that's another area of, of huge interest for me. And I'm gonna I'm gonna post more about this with the Alien franchise in an upcoming post. Um, but uh, I not only read uh, Christopher Golden's 
Alien River of Pain with my eyes as a prose novel, but there is also an audio adaptation of it. It's like a radio play with a full cast and sound effects and music, and it's much shorter, so I could just listen to that, and then I could read the narrative, and I could do this comparative work. And I got through the plot, the story, of Alien River of Pain uh, this last weekend as audio drama. And then I read the rest of the story last night while I was falling asleep. And uh, so I already knew who died. I knew in what order they died. But the way that Christopher Golden writes about it was aesthetically not more pleasing because there was there's an aesthetic pleasure to the audio drama as well. But there was a sort of um, depth. That's the word I would use, depth, to the way that Christopher Golden was able to relay it in prose narrative. That's one of those differences right there is that an audio drama has to go a lot like a film does with that sort of immediacy and the pacing of a film, whereas the novel gets to draw out some of those things and to give greater, I would say, potentially emotional resonance to those deaths. But I knew who died, and I knew how they died, and so, ooh, spoiler, um, but it didn't, it didn't reduce my enjoyment thereof. Now, there have been some people who have come back at this idea of saying, like, well, knowing where the story goes uh, does spoil it for me, because I have this emotional investment in this narrative, and this is something that Leave It and Christmasfield didn't consider, but I would push back on that and say... No, I think this is still about a society that is more interested in plot than it is in narrative. Plot versus narrative. In narratology, plot is what happens. And narrative is how we relay that information to our audience in whatever form it may be. And so, you know, you, you can have the same story told over and over and over again, and it can be... It can be relatively mundane for the longest time. And then somebody comes along and they do it in a way that is so great that it it captures a whole new generation of people for that story. So Little Women has been adapted over and over and over again. You can go and check out the, uh, the, the episode that I did on Little Women. But Greta Gerwig's 2019 take on Little Women was emotionally resonant for me in a way that other versions aren't. And what I find fascinating about like those sorts of stories that I love, uh, you know, like a Jane Austen novel, I love Emma. And I will re I'll watch every new version of Emma because I want to see how they handle certain characters. And for me, it's always about who plays Miss Bates. I love to see how they interpret that character in versions of Emma. I'm also always interested, of course, in those primary characters. But, I mean, there's nothing that's going to surprise or shock me about this. I know what this... I know what... I know what happens. I'd say the same is true for any superhero origin story. And people say, well, why do we need to see this again? Because each director wants to take their aesthetic shot at interpreting that iconic moment. And I've... You know, I tried reading some of the early alien novels, the ones that were uh, more or less out of the, the Dark Horse uh, comics narratives about aliens, and they just weren't very good. Christopher Golden's River of Pain was 
it's moderately well written. It's not like it's not classic literature, but I really enjoyed it. It was a great summer read. I n- at no point did I go, God, this is just trash. And the only reason I'm reading it is because, you know, I'm, 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 my brain is full of aliens right now. And here's the analogy that I, I think is helpful for this. Um, you can drink, you know, coffee for the caffeine hit. You can drink wine or scotch or beer for the buzz. But you can also drink coffee for its aesthetic pleasure. The, the taste of the coffee, you know, like there's coffee snobs. I am a, a sort of coffee snob. I have the coffee that I love the most. And if, if it's not available, then that's troublesome to me because I don't just drink coffee for the caffeine. I drink coffee for the taste and the way that it interacts with my peanut butter toast and my little tiny cinnamon bun, little crappy cinnamon buns that you get from Safeway. Um, I drink wine and I really love red wine in the winter, and I like white wine in the summer, and I know which wines I like more than others. For whites, I like a Gewurztraminer. For red, I like a Sauvignon Blanc. Blanc. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, I know which scotches I like. I know which tequila I like. And I've, I just recently discovered amazing local beers. If you are an Edmontonian, if you live in the Edmonton area, if you live in Alberta, you got to check out SYC beer. Absolutely fantastic. Um, but I've been drinking SYC beers, and some of them are just outstanding. I had one the other day that I wasn't too thrilled about, um, but it still gave me the buzz. Bonus, you still get the buzz. So, you know, I'm drinking it for aesthetic pleasure. I absolutely am. I love the taste of a good, crisp Pilsner in the heat of the summer and SYC makes some great ones. And so I've been enjoying that from an aesthetic perspective. You go to a wine tasting and they're not, Hey everybody, let's get ripped. Which to me feels a little bit like the way that we go to movies. We're just going for some sort of initial emotional impact. Initial. Did I just say initial, initial emotional impact? Um, I had a student this last year in my horror course say that they had always gone to horror movies for the cinematic shock. And if the movie didn't have cinematic shock, then it wasn't a very good horror movie. Those are the the jump scares, as we call them. And so many horror movies are built on other emotional pleasures, like dread or terror. And, and there's, there are these differences between these types of emotional, um, effect. And when we go to a movie, I think it would be great. Or when we read a book or when we play a role-playing game, it would be great if we just sit back for a little bit and swish the alcohol around, as it were, swish the coffee around. Now, I know that when we're young, we're experiencing everything for the first time. It's just all coming at us. Yeah, cool. Let it be. That's that's the point in life when spoilers really matter. Um, But as we grow, I think it is important for us to grow as consumers of narrative. And for anyone who's listening to this right now and going, oh, this is snobbery. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I want you to just stop and think for a moment. You've probably got some snobbery in your life. Maybe you're a wine snob. You're a beer snob. You're a scotch snob. You're some kind of, I drink something and I'm a snob about it. Or I'm a foodie. Or I'm a car person. Or I'm really into sports. I mean, who? why would you ever you know, revisit a game, even in conversation, when you already know what happened. And yet we do. We talk about that game that happened way back when. And, you know, we, 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 we enjoy that moment, even though we all already know what the outcome was. 
And nobody ever yells about sporting events. Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Um, why do we do it for films? Um, when they are constructed for aesthetic pleasure. A sporting event, you know, is full of genuine surprises, whereas a film it has this narrative structure. A novel has this narrative structure that, you know, there's going to be uh, hints for where it's going. And let's pay attention to those things. Let's roll that around in our mouth, as it were, you know, and taste the different uh, flavor notes that are there. And then coming back to where this all started, you know, if you're playing a role-playing game, give yourself over to the narrative that you're playing. If you are playing the alien role-playing game and you are just sitting there going, well, I know what a face hugger is. You're not trying to be in that narrative world. And I think that's true for, for watching those films as well, giving ourselves over to that willing suspension, suspension of disbelief and allowing ourselves to enjoy them uh, in that way that aesthetic pleasure can provide. I want to take a quick moment to apologize for being absent for two weeks. Um, I was the acting chair at work, and it's been busy. Uh, we're rolling into another somewhat insert, uncertain fall, um, you know, where we're, we're teaching a little bit online. We're teaching some in person. You know, the Delta variant is out there. Things are wild and crazy. Want to talk about spoilers? I, I could use some for this year. Somebody please tell me what the spoilers are for... 2021's fall so that I know, you know, how to plan my life. I have two or three more of these office hours before I go into my fall semester, and then I will be delivering content for one of my courses here at the podcast, which could end up being tedious as all get out for, you know, some of my listeners. Uh, but that's just, that's, you know, that's my workload. Churning out two episodes a week uh, drove me nearly mental in the uh, winter semester this last year. Uh, so it's not something that I want to repeat. That said, uh, I have promised that I would be doing Cabin in the Woods, and I will, but I want to do it closer to Halloween. I might do a, a series of, you know, horror stuff, because, you know, I can do that for a little while at least. And as always, if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a comment, share this with a friend. I'm on Instagram at Triple Bladed Sword. You can follow my Facebook page, Facebook page, Triple Bladed Sword. I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> you can follow my Facebook page, Triple Bladed Sword, teaching fantasy, science fiction, and horror. Finally, if you have something you'd like me to talk about in a future office hour other than Cabin in the Woods, which I'm going to do in October, leave a suggestion or a question in the comments, and I'll do my best to get to it. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Mike Pershawn, and this is Triple Bladed Sword. <laughs>